Welcome back, talkers, to the I'm Just Talking podcast with me, your host, Cello. It is going to be a midweek sort of final episode of the Military Brat memoirs. Um, This will be part four. The reason why I'm doing this today, it's currently Thursday, April 29th, is because the month is ending, and I didn't get wind that it was Military Child Month until... I guess about the second Monday, and I usually drop my my new episodes on Monday on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, uh, Public Radio Public, Overcast, and Castbox. All of these are the the platforms that I'm on, uh, and I'd hope if you have any of those or you come across this link, please take a listen. I'm at 275 total listens. Thank you to everybody that is listening. Uh, you know, shout out to my Aviano family that's listening, um, and any military brat that's come across any of this. Um, I don't have a specific theme typically of my podcast. You know, it's not sports related. It's not music related. It's, you know, anything that I think is life worthy related, and hopefully there's a positive spin. Um, so I've already recapped my first military memory, how my, my military experience was a little different, whereas my father didn't have a ton of assignments, but his first the first real memory was him being deployed uh, to a remote um, tour without the family to Korea. Then he, when he got to a an accompanied tour, that you know that whole process was from I was nine till I was about twelve. So it was about three, three and a half years, maybe two and a half, because he didn't leave right away. That nineteen, yeah. So it was like three years or so. Um, then, for the first time in my life, being the new kid um, and adjusting from you know, kind of larger city life to Italian countryside, being the new kid, uh, and feeling kind of awkward, uh, for the first time, and then the part three, that was part two, and then part three was some of the things that, through my teenage years, I got to do that kids around here wouldn't have gotten, kids in the United States wouldn't be able to do, um, you know, our brushes with, you know, the reality of war, um, the first Gulf War, the Yugoslavian Civil War. Uh, it's not even called Yugoslavia anymore. And one of our pilots being shot down. Um, you know, being able to kind of dabble in alcohol before you were really supposed to. Um, how I couldn't get a driver's license until I had a stateside driver's license. And the biggest thing that comes out of my military experience is the camaraderie of all of us that that lived there. Now, granted, just like any other school, just like in America, we had our main friends. Um, and we all, you know, you hung out with people, but we were a very diverse group. Um, when I lived in New York, even as a kid, some neighborhoods were still somewhat segregated. Italians lived in one neighborhood. Blacks lived in one neighborhood. Uh, sometimes Jews lived in their own neighborhoods. Um, you know, Hispanics or Spanish is what they, what I remember them being anybody of Spanish descent lived in a neighborhood. Um, but when you, when you, now, and again, if you listen to part two, you know that I lived in a military community in New York, where I, near where my parents grew up too. So that little nook was very integrated. Um, 
but I think the thing that, that comes out of this the most for me is how diverse of a group it was and how it didn't seem to matter to us that we weren't the same. Um, groups of kids, man, they, they were just kids. And there was groups of kids that were very diverse, black kids, white kids, Filipino kids, Mexican kids, Puerto Rican kids, uh, you know, and any ethnicity you could think of, the military makes up. And my understanding, and I, again, someone's going to crucify me if I get this wrong, but there's a, a pretty good portion of the United States military is minorities of some kind. And we lived that. Now, granted, there was definitely uh, the groups, you know, there was still a Baptist church, for example, or maybe something other than Catholic that, you know, was a predominantly a black black folks, African-American people. Um, there was um, the Masons group. There, you know, there, there was different, you know, groups that, that people brought onto the base, but everybody seemed to get along like we didn't and we of course you had beef with people but I can't recall a specific instance that really had anything to do with race and I think a lot of that there's a couple of stories that come to mind um I mentioned how you know I'm of Italian descent my parents speak Italian while they were speaking Italian we blended although a story for another day they they chastised my mother for being a southern Italian but um but if I opened my mouth in an Italian store, restaurant, neighborhood, they knew I was American, and immediately you become the American. And I, I don't know that they, they cared if you were a black American, a white American, or a Mexican American, or Asian American. As long as you were American and there was an anti-American sentiment, sen sentiment, then they didn't like you. And you had to kind of stick together as being American. Um, happened. The big one happened where there was one one black kid in a group and like I mentioned the teenagers should not have been at a bar but they were at a bar and um, the American kids were getting picked on yes the n-word did get thrown out by the Italians but the Italians had no regard they didn't go after just him they wanted to beat up everybody because the group of kids that were my friends they were causing trouble and you know, the last straw for the American kids was this kid being called the N-word. But at that point, they don't, the cops look for the American kids. I don't think that they care that you're one color or the next, right? So it, it came down to really the us knowing it was us against them. We, it's like being in one big like family where you'll fight with your brother, you'll fight with your sister, but anybody calls your sister a bitch or your brother a a punk ass, you want to fight the other people. So, another time we were at an ice cream shop downtown in one of these other neighborhoods, and these Italian kids, they wanted to be tough, so we wanted to be, they were being tough with some younger kids, and we walked up when we were the older American kids, and we were going to defend those American kids. It didn't matter if they were wrong or right, we were going to defend those those younger kids. Um, but the point is, is everybody should experience living abroad as an American with other groups of Americans where you don't you don't pay attention to what you look like as an American you're just plain American and some people back then and I don't maybe even now 
did not like America. They they thought we all thought we were snobs. They all thought we were rich. And they all thought that we felt entitled. And you, you have to defend that. Because believe it or not, there's some military families that struggle. So with that being said, you get a sense of what America is supposed to be. Now this is kind of a controversial concept, con, um, conversation. Because I'm not shitting on the country. But as the America as a country is so large and so vast and and still it you know especially in the late 80s wasn't you know there's still segregated parts and and maybe that by that point it was a choice it wasn't you know anything you know um derogatory or sinister it's just that's just the way the neighborhoods formed so that's where you lived that's where you felt most comfortable but when we we knew, and I knew, at a very early age that it, it was because we were American. And we stuck together as Americans. And it's amazing how many of us, even through all of this crap with, that just went on, we still hold those experiences dear. And it's sort of like being a part of a, of a, ba of a, like a sports team, if you will, or some sort of club, you know, whether you're a a football player, a track, a cross country, basketball, volleyball, football, or, a, or soccer or something. Or if you were in part of band or you were part of the Spanish club or whatever, you know, you were, you build a camaraderie over like things. And the like thing is that we were American, you know. And, and the other thing too is, yes, you had your group of friends, but you didn't have to, sh you didn't have to like shun other people. For example, I, I kind of remember it like this. There was the kids that listened to, like, hip-hop and R&B. I was part of that crowd, right? And then there, was the, then there was the kids that listened to, like, metal and rock music. But there wasn't... It wasn't like the rap kids were just African-American kids and the heavy metal kids were just white kids or Caucasian kids. It was... If you listened to that type of music, well, they embraced you. You know, if you were a goth kid, it didn't matter. Um, and if you're, uh, if you're a, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and it's even more interesting when you get back to the States and you run into these people. I worked at an airport for a while, so I'd run into some people that, you know, from Italy. And even if you're not super duper close with them, then it's almost like you're home. And I hold on to that really deeply. Like, it doesn't matter if I spent five minutes to, with you uh, or if I spent 500 minutes with you. If you're from Aviano and I know you and we, you know, we had a class together or not or you were a little bit younger or whatever it was, it was what we, it's what we, it's what we had in common. So I... It, it's a really, really hard thing to explain. I got some people that live in and around this area, um, one, the Templados I've spent some time with, especially when they first got to town, and it was like, we could tell the same stories over and over again, and it was like it was yesterday, you know, we could, we could talk about the, the mutual friends we had, and I didn't hang, I hung out with Jerry, Jerry a little bit more, his sister I think was in my grade, um, but I hung out with them, at time, from time to time, our parents were really friendly, our parents worked together at a time, so we would go to like, their house and stuff, but, you know, his main group of friends wasn't always into the things that I was into, but 
you know, we hung out together. Now we hang out as adults. And I think that that's really cool because a lot of us don't have a hometown. Um, I, I kind of do like a lot of my family still lives, you know, I guess three quarters of the family still live in that same general area that we grew up, that we lived in before we went to Italy. But like, you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of times kids just kind of settle where they graduated high school. And sometimes that's not even a good year, a couple years sometimes. My brother, my youngest brother wound up happening to him. So there is much more to be said about being an, an American than there is about being a particular blank American. And we often struggle when we come back to the States because it's not like that. You know, when we were ki when we were kids, we'd you know kids would go home for the summer because that I, I think some of us subconsciously waited for that shit. It was like, oh, you get to go home, you know, you go back to Cali or New York or Texas or Florida. seemed like it seems like that was like the three four places everybody was from. Like, um, you go back to where you're from and you get to hang out with your cousins, but then you inevitably you'd come back and you'd you'd have like a stash of the the greatest new candy, um, or you know so you'd have the freshest gear, the freshest Nike gear, Reebok was still humongous back then too, you know, and you had that, you had different clothes than everybody because you weren't shopping on the base and, you know, and then of course, if you had family members that sent you care packages and shit, you know, you, some kids thought they were entrepreneurs and they would sell the candy that they couldn't get at the commissary. So it's just, we were so far from America, yet we tried to be America somewhere that wasn't America, and, you know, they try to take advantage of you, too, like, I remember we went on a youth trip, and, uh, and I didn't speak enough good Italian, or I didn't speak enough of that dialect of Italian to really understand, but this lady, she charged me for some popcorn that I didn't want, like, I didn't even have popcorn in my hand, and she charged me for the popcorn, I'm trying to argue with her, and what little Italian I knew, and what English, she knew what the fuck she was doing, um, one time, and I don't remember, I remember we got stuck in, on the way home, and I don't know if Rochelle and her sister would ever listen to this, but we got stuck in, uh, on the way home, uh, from, we flew from Philly, I believe it was, and we got stuck in the, we got stuck in, Nap we got stuck in Sicily, and anyway, we get off this bus, and back then, and they probably still do it now, there's like a, in some places, there's like a bathroom attendant. And, uh, you give them, you know, what little bit of change you have, and I don't know. And in some places, it was all bullshit, too. It was some beggar person that just was begging for money, and it looked like they were cleaning the bathroom. Well, I remember there was a woman, not relevant, but she was an Asian woman. She didn't speak hardly any English, I don't think, much, and that's probably the only relevancy there. She was with a baby. She was by herself. She was, um, going into the bathroom, and this woman was outside the bathroom taking money from people to let them in. And my mom was, I think, behind this woman. And this is, I'm getting, I remember the second hand. I remember the bathrooms were close, so I kind of saw some of it. But my mom said that the uh, the old woman was trying to take the equivalent of like five bucks, I think it was, from this from this woman. And the lady didn't know no better. It was her first time in Sicily, right? And my mother, Sicilian, number one, number two, speaks the language, basically told this lady, you're not going to cheat her. You're not going to take her money. Like, here, you know, told this woman. And my mom's been like this her whole life. My mom will not let anybody get cheated. 
and you know made sure that this lady didn't get cheated out of five ten bucks or whatever it was rather than the equivalent of like five or ten cents so they'll take advantage or you go to a store um, or you go and you know to a tourist place they want to take advantage of you because they don't think you understand the money system they might be trying to stick it to you because you're American so at the end of the day again it's not about being a particular type of American it's just that you're American and they're going to try to get you. You know what I mean? And you knew. And you stuck together. Like, we went on, you know, youth trips and stuff. And we were very... I can't imagine, you know, you think being a chaperone going to, like, the Sacramento Zoo or whatever is one thing. But being, like, in a foreign country where you could get kidnapped just for being a kid, an American kid. You know, you, you the chaperones had to keep close tabs on you. We didn't go anywhere. You know, you didn't wander anywhere alone. You know, if you got friendly with some Italian kids in your neighborhood, you know, it'd be a different thing. I mean, so to transition a little bit, the flip side is, is the younger Italians um, were really infatuated with us. They were, in fact, the girls were infatuated with the boys. Some of the boys, you know, were infatuated with the American girls. And and for any of the girls that hung out with us back then, like 99% of them were good looking. I don't really remember anybody not being good looking. So you have that. You have that sort of infatuation and that sort of, you know, the kids that wanted American culture. They they thought your Levi's were better than their Levi's. You know, you, we always had different gear than they did. But you you find that camaraderie and you find that that brotherhood or sisterhood and that friendship and and... And then later years when you, you know, through social media, thank God, because thank God we're in this generation, because without social media in the beginning, you'd lose track of people and you never hear from them again. You know what I mean? It's even helped my mom track down people from when I was a kid and, you know, the the very early years, my, my other duty station, my dad's other duty station abroad was Germany, but I was a baby, so I don't have any remember, remember, memories of that. So people track you down and you get to relive that. You get to see... You know, I get to Google map the house I lived in and, and Google Earth or whatever the hell it's called. And you get to sort of relive that. So we, we tend to like, we we coexisted really, really well coming up and not fighting over the, the stupid things here. You know, that especially now that people are fighting over. I mean, there's there's a handful of, you know, our military brats that have switched sides on us a little bit. Um, and that's disappointing because I don't think any kid that was in the military whose father was in the military didn't befriend somebody that was like, you're black and they're white or you're white and they're Asian or you're Asian and they're Hispanic or they're mixed even. There was a lot of mixed couples. I, I mean, I've dated... I just like women in general, so, I mean, I've dated every, every color of the rainbow, so, and that was okay, I mean, you couldn't date, you know, you couldn't segregate yourself enough to just date someone that looked like you, so, in that regard, the the biggest lesson that military life taught me is that, A, there is a shit ton of people that do not like America, and or Americans, and it didn't matter if you were an adult American or a kid American. Uh, a lady at a festival tried to pull me out of line, and I'm convinced 
it was because I was American. Of course, my mom let her have it too. Um, and B, if you focus on the fact that you're all American and you're not a particular kind of American, then you find you have a shit ton of things in common. It does not mean to denounce what you are or not be proud of what your ethnicity is or, or what have you, but we we just made friends. Like, I have so much in common with people that I knew from back then that if we were in the States and we lived in a large city like New York, L.A., Chicago, I don't know, Miami, you know, Dallas, Houston, you know, anywhere... We probably may not, maybe we don't even cross paths, but I just never remember there being any issues because of race. It was, you talk to my girlfriend, is really one of the things, you know, um, and a lot of times too, you fought it out, you threw blows, and that was it, and you still didn't dislike each other. You know, you may not talk for two, three, four months, but then inevitably you'd find yourself at the bowling alley and you'd be like, oh man, I'm all here by myself. There's home, there's, you know, there's homie or whatever. And it turns out that you squash it for whatever reason. Yeah, people had their best friends. You know what I mean? Um, it was just a good existence. Like, I'm kind of a chameleon like that. Like, I get along with everybody. I don't have beef with nobody for the most part. I don't try to create drama. But, you know, there was, you know, one little instance that had something. And I don't remember this. This is something I always get. We, we, I talk about with my homies um, where we had a we had an African-American teacher that, you know, there was a battle over her. And, you know, NAACP got um, involved because they thought she was terminated or she was. It was proven that she was terminated wrongfully or whatever. But still, the kids didn't have that issue. I never remember any issue like that. So now that I'm about 22 minutes in, the second half of this is that you come back to America now. And I came back to America for the last time when I was almost 21. And I've always been the white kid in the hip-hop group, like ever since I lived in New York. But I didn't find that that was something that really happened around here. Now, granted, I'm coming in as an adult. I don't know nobody from high school. I didn't go to, you know, middle school with nobody. I don't have any friends. So, you know, again, and again, I get in where I fit in. And it was different. Like, I got no problem trying to hit on a, a girl that doesn't look like me. But they didn't want to have, you know, black girls didn't want to have nothing to do with me. Um, um, I have a bunch of friends now from here that are different races, black, white, Mexican, and whatever. But coming in and trying to get with a group of friends, it was a little different. I did notice, though, here in Northern California, that it didn't make one damn bit of difference, though, what color you were there was. You know, back in those days, Rio Linda was still a predominantly white neighborhood. Del Paso Heights was probably a predominantly black neighborhood. But if you were poor, you all, you could still live, you all lived in the same neighborhood if you were really poor. But I just, I found it hard to adjust. I found it hard to make friends initially. I mean, I got a job pretty quickly, so that helped. But again, I became the new, I was the new guy. And I was trying to, you know, be friendly with the people that, you know, I, I felt comfortable with on the base. And that was a diverse group of people. And it wasn't so much that way. Um, 
Gangs was something I never dealt with, and there was a lot of gangs out here. Um, Mexican gangs and whatever. Um, the base was still open. Old McCollin Air Force Base was still open. So if I when we when I dabbled around in there because I still had an ID card for like a year and a half, which I probably shouldn't have had. So in those regards, like there was pockets of places that I could have felt comfortable on a military base if I could have attached myself to that. Because again, it's more segregated. It's more. It's it's more, you know, welcoming to the to the diversity that we should be as a country, um, and then you just you almost never create the bond that you do with your military brat, brothers and sisters, almost never, and 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 again, I think it just goes back to that, you're you're literally on an island by yourself, like the base is his own little compound, you know what I mean. Giuseppe from around the corner cannot get on the base unless you're with him or, you know, he ain't getting on. So, you know, and that's not like that. It's the adjustment period. And especially if you're an introverted person is going to be horrible. It's going to be, and then you think about too, like you come back to America and it's so different fast food everywhere. You know what I mean? There was there was really like one or two Italian fast food places. And I really only remember one. And it was ran by an American guy who married an Italian lady. And he tried to recreate a burger joint. And it wasn't really that good. Um, so, you know, fast food on every corner. You go to the mall. And the mall is humongous. And it's kind of, it's a big culture shock. It, it really is. You get so used to living with a little bit less. And then, you know, there's liquor stores on every corner. There's, you know... There's traffic everywhere. You know, people think driving in Europe is dangerous. Okay, sure. But when you come from a place that's really small and you learn how to drive on the, the Autostrada or the Autobahn in Germany, you come here, the difference is there's so many damn people. I, I could literally right now probably spit and hit my neighbor's house. You know what I mean? It wasn't always like that in Italy. The, the main centers of towns, yes, Buildings are stuffed together. Streets are very small. But then everybody's got a little bit of land. Everybody's got a little bit of, you know, something, something. So, and then out here, you're trying to blend in. You know, you meet, you know, I met a couple that worked with me at a hotel. And actually, I'm still friends with some of these people too. So maybe it's just me. I, I had an easier road. But I know how it was when I, I started working at this place and... They're like, you know, you're trying to get to know people. You know, where are you from? Well, I just came from Italy. So people automatically think, number one, how come you speak such good English? Because, again, kids here are oblivious. They don't realize that there's a military, unless they have a family member that left the military, you know, for the military. Oh, really? Where did you learn how to speak English? Well, you have to tell them the whole story, right? So even now, people say, where are you from? And most of the time, I just tell them I'm from New York. Um, today, in fact, at work, we were talking about the year I graduated high school. For some reason, it came up. Oh, where'd you graduate high school? Because they think I'm from around here. And I'm not. So, when I tell them Italy, you got to explain to them. I didn't go to an Italian school. Then you say, oh, I went to, an, you know, my dad was in the military. Oh, you went to a military school? They think you, I don't know if it's from freaking, what is that movie? Uh, Over the Top with Stallone where his kid wore the freaking Marine uniform. They think you go to military school and that, you you know, you're manned by a drill sergeant. And, and so the misconceptions are more than the reality. And you got to explain your whole life to people when you come back and then, you know, so you start trying to make friends with people and you know, it's different. 
you don't always fit in. You might make a friend with somebody initially, but they got their group of friends that they've had since, you know, elementary school. You know, my my son is very lucky like that, where I didn't join the military, so he went to, he's gone to the same school with kids his whole life. You know what I mean? Um, he's went, he's gone to the same high school his mom went to, so, and, you know, one of the teachers is his brother's, his, his uncle's friend. So it, it's just so many different things that we deal with trying to adjust. And I, and I didn't go to college, but I can't imagine what it would have felt like going to college. That's a culture shock in and of itself. But, you know, coming from a foreign country as a military brat and you really have no home, you know, you don't really know what home base is. You just kind of wherever your parents are from kind of a thing. And then you go to a, maybe an entirely different state to go to college. Like, imagine the mind fuck that is. You know what I mean? Imagine the... Imagine always being the new kid and then being an adult and going, where am I going to start my life? You know what I mean? Um, I chose California because I fell in love and then my daughter was born here and then my son was born here. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to New York and leave my kids? I don't think so. So... I know a lot of people that still have a hard time adjusting. Um, I think the younger you are, the better it is. Um, because if your parents decide to come back to the States and you're like, I don't know, maybe 14 or 15, then you still have a few years of high school. Maybe you go to college with the same dudes. You know what I mean? But it's like, if you come back to the States late in life, senior year, you know, just to go to college, you're never going to find the people like you found. Now, some key people I know are very lucky where they happen to have settled in places where there's a bunch of us around and they, and then they get together and they have fun and they, you know, they're, that's still kind of a core of their friends. But like, um, I have one guy, my, my boy, Eric, who him and Evelyn, like by dumb luck, followed each other around the world. Like, and it just, ha it does happen, but it's very, very rare. So the, the adjustment period, and I think, and I think there's not enough given to these two, these three points. There is so much emotional stress being a military brat, whether that's separation of family, being the new person over and over and over again which gives you, in my opinion, commitment issues, and then C, realizing that when you come to America, not everybody cares about being American. And well, four, I guess it's four or five, because then you come back in the adjustment period of coming back to the world, you know, and realizing that it's hustle and bustle and it's 100 miles an hour. You're like, what? The stores here don't close between uh 4.30 and whatever it was, 12? I think it was, I think it was like 12 and 3 and then, you know, people go home and they fucking, they siesta, they go home, they have some pasta with their family, they take a little nap, then they go back to work. And even, and we were somewhat Americanized around the base, but they still did that shit. You know what I mean? And it, and, and it's, you know, it's easy living. People, people work and they work hard and they work on farms or they, you know, they work in factories and they do the shit that they're supposed to do, but it's just not, you know. And then of course there's a universal health care over there and America doesn't have that. You know, you you know, if you're attached to the base, you kind of do. But we just, us military brats, need to like explain to the world that America doesn't give a shit what kind of. I mean, the rest of the world doesn't give a shit what kind of America you are.
They really don't. They don't give one rat's ass. Some of them are fascinated by you because they think we're like aliens or some shit. I don't know. But especially the Americans that aren't stereotypical Americans. Like, I never lived in England, right? But I'm imagining it would be like me going to England and talking to this really beautiful girl who looks a little different than me and she has this great accent. I'd be infatuated with her, I'm sure. So when you go to, you know, to a foreign country and you're a different, you know, you're not like a white American or what, you know, America thinks everybody's a fucking cowboy, right? So, or, oh, I'm sorry. The world thinks everybody's an American cowboy. But if you're like a black American, some people are infatuated with you. If you're a Mexican American, you know, you know, maybe the Italian girls like you more. I don't know. That's the younger generation. The older generation, especially if for some reason they had some sort of communist thought. Man, they didn't like your ass. And, they, and you know what I mean? You, you, had, you had to make sure that, you know, you were safe. You were around other Americans. You know, again, we had, to, we had, a, poli we had a, a security police officer on our bus because they, were, they, they knew we were, we were targets. And the intelligence community on the base had to be on their up and up. You know what I mean? So, I've often said that the military kids serve, and it is definitely not the same. I didn't get woken up. I mean, I got woken up. My dad was part of a, a drill team in case there was a war. And if they had an exercise where they were practicing, you know, my dad had to have his... And I don't know the technical term because I was never that kind of a military kid, but he had his had to have his bag ready. And he played a part of a UN guy, right? So he had his blue helmet and shit. And if that, and if that freaking little walkie-talkie went off, exercise, exercise, they had to jump like they were going to war. And it, and when they when the war started, you know, they had to be on standby. Um, my my father-in-law, Chief Chief G, Chief Grimes, like he he fueled the airplanes, and that dude worked. And it wasn't like, you know. It's hard work in the military, too. I, I think a lot of people think that they skate, but no, nah, you had to be at work from sunup to sundown fueling these planes, you know, flying missions and shit. Like, it's real life. You know what I mean? It's That shit's real. You know, there's really fucking fighter jets flying around the base, you know, and cargo planes and satellite planes and the whole shit, you know? And, um, you know, we sacrifice you know, the, the military member sacrifices too, but like I said, my family was, and, and, and if, I'm, if I'm being honest, I changed the course of our entire lives. Um, I can't, I don't regret it because I got two great kids because of it. I, fed, I met Bella's mom, uh, Amy, in, in Italy, and then we tried to come and have a life together in California, and then when Bella was born, you know, when that relationship broke up, like most of the teenage love relationships do these days, I met Christina, and now I have Diego, so... It, it's not a negative, it's not a woe is me, but I just think that there's so much more psychological and mental things that you would assume make somebody stronger because they can deal with separation, they can deal with um, abandonment in a certain way, they can deal with, you know, loss um, in a way that others don't because they experience it more. But some people are just emotionally tired. You know, imagine being an 18-year-old and moving six times in your life. And we're not talking like you moved from, you know, G Parkway to freaking Rio Linda. Or you, did, or you moved from, you know, 
you know, Forty Second Street to Fifty Third Street. You know, we're we're talking, and that's that's anguish enough, right? We're talking. You moved from Italy, then maybe you came back to the states for a couple of years, then you went to Spain, um, or you went, you know, to Japan or something. You know what I mean? So we don't get enough credit for taking on the burden just like the military person. Again, not career withstanding. But then again, some people too, like my mom didn't work for a couple of years and I know my mom really likes to work. So she couldn't, you know, she had to wait her turn to get into the commissary. You know what I mean? Some some of the women or the or the um or the men who or whoever they whoever wasn't in the military, they had to give up their lives. You know what I mean? They give up their careers to follow just so that their family is somewhat normal. You know, but again, we got to experience things like Carnavale, um, La Bafana, eating real Italian food or, or different Italian food. You know, if your family was very proactive, then you were going to places like Austria, Spain, um, Portugal, you know, England, um, Greece, which we should have went. I don't know why we never did. You know, and go into these other places and experience some of those local, those cultures and some of those things that you read about in history books, you know, and, but the adjustment period sucked ass. It sucked ass when you were the new kid. It sucked ass when you made a really good friend and they left. You know, I remember when my best friend Jay left, uh, Greg Willis and his girlfriend, I forget his girlfriend's name, but I remember, I think she had like a Geo Metro Jeep or some shit. And we literally watched the plane fly and I, and I cried. And, um, or the girlfriend I had my senior year, like, she left middle of the year, man, right after the football season and shit, and like, again, another girlfriend that you basically break up with because the military says you have to, pretty much, you know what I mean, so like, you know, those sorts of things, and then you're, and then you're kind of subconsciously searching for that group of people again, you're, you're kind of trying to replace those group of people, like, hey, this is the kid that reminds me of this kid, and you know, and you're trying, and, and I've never had a group of friends like that. I have, like, don't get me wrong, I got some really good friends. I got, like, you know, Don Giles, Susie from the hotel. They're still two of my great friends. Norma's Don's wife, Kathy. You know, I could name Jill. I could name a, a, you know, Williams. I can name a million people from the hotel days. Um, and I could name, you know, people from my airport days, too, like, you know, Chris and Kane and, you know, Josh and, you know, all of these people from the hotel, from the airport days, you know, I got to like Anthony and Kurt and a couple of people from the Chipotle days, but nothing like the Aviano peeps, man, like, you know, where else do you get to sip grappa and like burn your lungs, you know what I mean, where else do you get to, you know, go to a club at 16 years old and dance and, and then not be a big thing as long as you didn't get in trouble, you know what I mean, um, where else do you get to, you know, learn how to speak a foreign language, or, you know, get to live in an Italian house with, you know, open, like the way the windows even opened is different. You know what I mean? With like coil heaters and, you know, just all these little tiny things. And then, you, but you have to deal with the other shit. You have to deal with being, you know, separation anxiety or, or knowing that, you know, your best friend is, is leaving. And I was lucky. I had the same best friend for 95% of the time I was there uh, because his dad loved it there. I don't know. Maybe his dad just loved me. I don't know. So military kids, military brats, my Aviano peeps, 
this is for us, man. Um, Aviano is a very, very special place. I don't know anybody that lived there that didn't like it. Um, I don't know anybody that wasn't interested or isn't interested in going back. I don't know anybody from there that I wouldn't talk to um, that is from there, even if I wasn't very friendly with them, um, which I'm, again, I'm friendly with everybody, but, you know, it's, it's a very, very special place, and before I die, I gotta get my kids there, and I don't know how that fuck that's gonna happen, but I gotta get my kids there, and I gotta drive down via Pordenone one more time before I die, and, uh, look at that front yard, and the roof I jumped off of, and, um, you know, go down to that triangle corner, and, uh, you know, hopefully I can get there before, you know, they knock anything down, or, or any of those things, and, you know, go see some of the, my friends that still live there, there's, you know, some, some good people, you know, Fiorenza and Sylvia, my mom's friends, um, I think Ruby still lives back there, a girl I dated. Um, you know, just so many. Oh, man. I'm getting emotional just thinking about what the house looks like. All right, military brats. This is for us. So, you guys, um, I know I'm up on Apple Podcasts now. If I have been, but I can actually see the analytics there. So, check me out on Apple on Google, Spotify, Anchor are the four major ones. Then we got Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Cast Box, Overcast. I would love for y'all to follow, comment on Apple if you can. Um, give me a thumbs up, a like, a share, um, a comment, the good, bad. What you know? Maybe, maybe some of y'all should uh, you know want to give a uh, you know an idea. And I should, Lillian, I should have mentioned you. And I hope you're listening. And I hope you listen to the end. Um, she called me with some feedback and I really got to work on that. Um, I've been a little bit busier at work, so thank you so much. Um, Vanessa Rodriguez Mahler, you too. Thanks for the feedback, Shannon. Thanks for the feedback, Cisco Perrin. But you guys like and share. I do, uh, my I'm Just Talking podcast on Instagram, Cello0902 is, uh, Instagram, Marcello Gabrielli. If you don't follow me on Facebook. Um, part of the reason for this close is because of my military experience and how much I love each and every one of us, regardless of what we look like, but respect, diversity, unity, it's really respect, unity, and equality. I love y'all. Trello's out.